What to include in your email signature block, email writing, episode 35. On today's docket, we discuss the email signature block. What should you include? What might you want to add? What should you never add? What is the difference between a good signature block and a poor one? A memorable one or a forgettable one? An effective one and a frustrating one? The Four Legal English Podcast is now in session. Welcome to the Four Legal English Podcast. This is the show for lawyers, law students, and other professionals from all over the world who want to improve both their legal English and legal knowledge. In this podcast, we discuss different legal topics, such as law in the news, law in practice, legal writing, legal movies, and other issues. This podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, consult an attorney. You can check out our blog articles, available courses, and the show notes for this episode on our website. That's four is in the number four, legalenglish, no spaces or dashes, dot com. Fourlegalenglish.com. I am Timothy Barrett, your host. I'm a former practicing attorney from the United States, more recently a law professor in Tbilisi, Georgia, and currently an author and podcast host, among other things. So today we're going to talk about the email signature block. So I guess the first thing to discuss is what is a signature block? This is the part of a letter, or we're going to talk about an email, that is at the very bottom, where someone will sign their name and the information that goes along with it. Often in a formal letter, you would have your signature above your typed name, And then underneath that would be some other information, your title, your position, maybe a a registration number as a lawyer. You might have a bar number, something like that, that identifies you, as well as the company you work for, the law firm that you work for, and contact information, maybe email, phone number, address, etc. Of course, in the 21st century, we probably write a lot more emails than we do real letters but we still have that signature block. So what should we include in that signature block in our email? That's what we're going to talk about today. Closing. So the first thing I want to talk about is setting up the signature block. Most email programs, whether using Gmail, Outlook, or something else, are going to have a setting that you can set up. So you can create your own email signature block. So you can do it once, and then you don't have to do it again and again. You don't have to copy and paste it. You set it up once. If you're satisfied, that's it. And usually the settings will allow you to automatically add it, or maybe you only add it if you're writing. If you're replying, you might not add it. Uh, There's different settings like that that you can play around with. But certainly once you set it up, you don't have to really think about it every time you send an email. You want it to be automatic. Now, considering that, the first thing that I will put on it, or the the top thing in my signature block, 
is the closing. So whatever my standard closing is, I'll include. For the last several years, I've used best regards, or you could use kind regards or just regards, or sincerely, yours sincerely, sincerely yours. In the old days, when people were a lot more formal, depending on who you're writing to, your relationship with them, the closing would change. But I think in the modern business world of the 21st century, I think just choose one of these and stick with it. You don't have to change it for each email that you send. And I like to make things easier for myself. So by including it in the signature block, that's one less thing I have to type or one less thing I might forget to type. Which closing should you choose? We really don't have time to get into that this episode. If you are interested in a deep dive on this topic, then definitely you want to check out the email writing course where we do cover in more detail. Name. Of course, you need your full name. Now, we do call it a signature block, but don't be confused. You don't need a signature. and In fact, I wouldn't include a real signature. Just your typed name is enough. And I would include your full name. If this is a business email account, you're sending it to people that you may be very close with, but you may not know at all, I think it's important that you have the full name in your email signature block. It'll avoid any confusion. You want to be very clear who you are. In the name, I might make a little bit different. You could write your name in italics, maybe have a different font, a different color, maybe make the size a little bit bigger than the rest of the the email text. I prefer to make my own name pop a little bit so that it's noticeable when you you look at the bottom of the email, you know, what my name is. I want that to stand out. But you do want it to be readable. Now, some people like to have a, a cursive font, so it kind of looks more like a signature, which can be good, but there are some of those fonts that may be hard to read, Some people might not be able to read it if they're not familiar with cursive. So I wouldn't make it too fancy or anything like that. And you probably don't want to choose a custom font that might not be readable on some computers. You know, if they don't have the same font in their computer, are they going to be able to read the font that that you've included? You don't want to get too tricky like that, especially with your name. Business info. You also want to include your title, your position in the company, the department that you're in, what's the name of the department, and the company. What company do you work for? Just like I said, I prefer my name to be slightly different so it kind of pops. The company might have that same effect. You want that to kind of stand out. That's probably more important than the department within the company, that sort of thing. So keep that in mind if you want the same font and color or something a little bit different so the company name stands out. Contact information. I would also include my email and phone number. Now, some people don't like to include their email, but I think this is a mistake because a lot of times people might have your email, maybe they printed it out or it was forwarded, and they might not know exactly what your email address is. And if you've ever used some different email programs, sometimes it's difficult to kind of copy and paste that information. Like at the top, it might have 
your name that's in the contact name or the name that you set up. It might not actually be the email address. So when you're going to you know, write that down, copy and paste it somewhere else, sometimes it can be a pain in the neck to find. And if somebody is trying to contact you, you want them to be able to find your email address. So I would definitely include your email address in the email signature block. You wanted to make it easier for them to find. This is probably the primary way that they're going to contact you. So why would you hide this piece of vital information? Now, what about phone number? You know, I'm not much of a phone person, but of course I would include my phone number. Now, depending on the context, do you want the office number, the business number, or you know, maybe you have a separate number for your office, for your desk, however it works. So which phone number should you include? I think you definitely need at least one phone number. Depending on who you email and, and why they would call you, maybe it's the, the general number to your company, or maybe it's the number to your secretary or to your, your office, your department, or to your personal phone you know, on, on your desk. But you definitely want to have at least one number. And then you want to decide, do you want to share your mobile number? Depending on what you do in your position, but if in your position you deal a lot with clients or trying to make sales or anything like that, then you're going to want to share your mobile number. You want them to be able to contact you. Now, if you don't, or you want them to contact you through the office, then of course don't include that. You know, if you get close enough that you want to share the mobile, then share that you know, directly with the person. You don't necessarily have to have that in the email signature block. So it kind of depends on how often you use your mobile for business. Do you want to share that in the signature block or not? Other contact information. I think it's also good to include the website of your company, whatever business you work for. If you're in a department or branch of a larger company that has its own website, then you may want to include that as well. Some people will include other links as well, such as social media links. Now, I think this depends on your position, what kind of position you're, you're in. I think LinkedIn is probably the most widely accepted one. That's you know professional networking type community. But if I were a lawyer in a law firm, I really wouldn't be sharing my Facebook or Instagram or other social media. However, if you're a content creator like like I've become, I think I should include my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, where, wherever you you can find me, I'll probably include in the bottom of my signature. And yes, one of the reasons that I thought to do this episode was because I thought it's time for me to revise my signature block. So while I was going through the process, I decided, you know, let me make some notes and I can make a good podcast episode about this. Now, for some people, they might even include a link to book an appointment. And so this could be useful if you do a lot of sales or you're encouraging people to contact you to set up a, a sales call or an information call that you know maybe in the future will lead to a sales call, then that's fine too. I've seen email signatures that will have a link to Calendly or, or one of these other apps where you can set up a time where you meet the person. And that can be very useful if that's useful to your job, if that's part of your position. Logo or photo? 
Now you may want to have a little bit more color include the logo of the company. While working at, at a university, I had the university logo in my signature block. You know, so it provided a little bit of, of color, a little pop. And I thought it, it looked well, it looked sharp. Now, a more recent trend is people including their photo. So this would be a professional you know, headshot, you know, maybe the, the shoulders, but not too much lower than, than the shoulders, similar to what a lot of people would have in their LinkedIn profile. This can be very advantageous because when you're emailing someone that you don't know or you don't know very well, this is an easy way to remind them or show them what you look like. If you're going to meet them in the future, they're probably going to be more likely to recognize you. But even if they never meet you in the future, maybe they're working on the other side of the world, you know you're never going to meet them in person. When they associate you with a photo, a real person, then studies have kind of shown that, that they're more likely to give you a positive response in the email because they're associating you with a real person rather than just you know, another blank email that they have to respond to. So what do you think? Do you think having your photo is good to include? I'd love to hear your thoughts in the, the show notes. Check out the show notes at the very bottom. You can make comments. So tell me what you include in your signature block. Do you have a photo or no photo? Disclaimer and call to action. So some emails, especially from law firms, accountants, uh, different places like that that have a relationship, even a fiduciary relationship with their clients, often will include a disclaimer. Basically saying, if you receive this email an error, please delete it, don't look at it, that sort of thing. Now, I, ha I haven't really looked into the law of this, but my mind has always been, you know what, that is completely ineffective. I just don't see how that kind of disclaimer provides any type of protection for you or your clients. However, I think every law firm, you know, kind of includes it, maybe not because they think it does really provide protection or is effective, but because everybody else does it, so they better do it too. So I'm not a big fan of those disclaimers, but I, I think they're so widespread, it's, it's hard to fight the tide. And it could be that you have other things that you, you are obligated to, to share, such as a registration number, a VAT number, a bar number, something like that. Maybe you are required by, by the law or professional ethics or something like that to include, and certainly you'd want to include that. Now, you generally want to keep it kind of short, maybe have smaller print, but, but don't make the print too small that it's hard to read. That defeats the purpose of the disclaimer. But you do want to make it as tidy as possible. What I've read is that your email signature block should be between four and seven lines, and that includes a disclaimer. If you don't have a disclaimer, I'd want to keep it you know, maybe closer to the four lines. You don't want it to be too long. And some people will include a call to action. So maybe your call to action is to set up an appointment. We talked about like a, a booking link, you know, so you, you have that call to action or you have something else, you know, hey, check out my book here on Amazon. You have a, a link to the Amazon book or your, your YouTube channel or, or something like that. That might be good to include if you, if you do have a, a positive call to action like that ready.
If you are looking to improve your email writing skills, we do offer a course on the For Business English website about email writing. Right now, it's not open for enrollment, but you can sign up and join the mailing list so that when it does open in a few months, you'll be notified and maybe even get a discount if you sign up early. So go to the show notes at forlegalenglish.com or you can go to the forbusiness-english.com website and go to the email writing course and sign up directly. Sent from a blank. A lot of devices such as iPhones, iPads, tablets, things like that will have automatically include this kind of disclaimer or, or a statement or even boast that this message, this email was sent from you know, an iPhone. Some people really like this. Some people really hate this. I'm not sure that I feel too strongly one way or the other. When someone sends me an email, I don't really care what device they sent it on. I don't feel a kinship if they have an iPhone or not an iPhone or anything like that. But some people do feel strongly about it. And some people will change it. Maybe instead of sharing that specific device, they might say sent from my mobile device. So that way you're not stepping on any toes or you're not... You, you, no one will think that you're bragging that you have an iPhone or an iPad or, or whatever it is. But it does make it clear that this is not sent from your desktop. Now, why might that be a good thing? Because usually when we send it from our phones or tablets as well, we probably have a lot more typos. We have a lot more mistakes. And some studies have shown that when people realize you sent it from your phone, they're much more forgiving. So they won't hold it against you that you had a couple of typos or autocorrect issues, that sort of thing. And if it, your response is a little shorter than maybe it otherwise could be, they'll take that into consideration. So it may be a good thing on your mobile device to specify that you know, it's being sent from a, a device, not a regular computer. Don't get me wrong doesn't give you permission to let fly with all the typos. You want to minimize all your typos as much as you can and respond quickly with correct grammar, etc. But it'll give you a little bit of extra leeway if those mistakes happen. You know, sometimes because of autocorrect that you might not notice at the time. Other considerations? So just some other considerations. Uh, like I said, it should be maybe four to seven lines. You don't want it you know, too much longer than that. You don't want it to be too colorful or overly colorful unless that's your brand. You know, maybe your company or your personal brand, if it's, if it's your company, you know, is very colorful. So, so maybe that makes sense. But it, it should match either the brand that you're creating or the brand that you've created or your company, your law firm, whatever company you're working for. Now, obviously, if you're if you're working in a law firm or a company, and the colors are like you know red and white, then you, the colors of your signature block shouldn't be you know blue and, and gold. That doesn't really match. It should match the company colors. Now, if you have your own law firm, you have your your own company. You've set the colors, so of course they should match. 
but it makes sense that it, it's consistent with the brand of your company that, that you're part of. Another thing is white space. And this is important with like CVs and application letters as well. You don't want it to be very densely populated so that it's like a reading assignment to get through your email signature block. You do want some white space in there. And by having that, it actually draws more attention to what you do have written down. So I wouldn't want to include a lot of extra information. I see some headers or, or email signature blocks where they will specify that this is a phone number, this is an email, you know, this is a website. Well, normally we can tell that it's a phone number or an email or a website. You don't need to tell me, just give me the email. I'll recognize that this is an email address. Now, of course, if it's a office phone number, a mobile phone number, or my direct line, then you might need to specify. But if you're only including one phone number, it's probably going to be pretty clear that it's a phone number. You probably don't need to specify what each thing is. Speaking of phone numbers, if you deal with a lot of international clients, you want to make sure that the international dialing prefix is on your phone number. You, know, you don't want them to have trouble contacting you or have to look up your country code, that sort of thing. You want to make it as easy as possible for someone to contact you. One more consideration is space dividers. So this could be like a, just a solid line, maybe of your, your brand color, or just a black line or something like that, where maybe, you know, dots or diamonds or squares or, or something just to kind of divide the contact information or the space, the names, whatever it is. But sometimes that can be used effectively to kind of make it easier to know which section of your signature block is what. Makes it a little bit more organized as well as stylish. Do's and don'ts. Don't make the signature block too long or too colorful. And as I said before, beware of the custom fonts. If you do use custom fonts, make sure other computers will be able to read them as you intended and it doesn't turn into wingdings or something like that. And be careful of GIFs or large photos, large logos. You know, I did talk about using a photo or a logo, but if it's too big, you know, it could be space size, but really more file size, then that can cause problems as well. You know, sometimes it screws up the formatting. Maybe some email programs won't recognize it or they'll have to click to load it or something like that. So be careful with those considerations. And of course, do make sure that your links work. So if you have your, your email, the website, whatever you have included, make sure all that information is right. You don't want to put somebody else's phone number in your signature block. So really double check that everything is correct. And do consider using an email signature block generator. There are several of these online, you know, many available for free, but you can kind of put in all of your information. It'll create a signature block just for you. It might look a little bit better than just setting it up in your email program. So take a look at those, especially if you're going to use a, a photo or a logo. Those can be very professional looking. So check those out. What questions do you have about today's episode? You can post those questions or any comments on the show notes. This is a great way to practice and improve your legal English skills.
You can go to the website for, as in the number four, legalenglish, no spaces or dashes, dot com. For legalenglish.com. You can check out our blog articles and show notes for this episode and check out the episode quizzes. It'd be fantastic if you could subscribe and give us a review. If you could leave us five stars and a nice comment, it would really help the algorithm and other people to find our podcast. If you leave a great review, I might even read it on the air. So start writing. The For Legal English podcast is adjourned. Don't miss the next docket call. (laughs) 